Um, I too am not Julie Oldham, but I will be reading the scriptures for you. Uh, today's reading will be in uh, Revelation, and if you're using the Bibles and the pews, it will be on pages 1302 through 1303, which if you have your own Bible, it's just the very last one um, in, in the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then the angel of the Lord showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. This is God's word. Good morning, and it's uh, again, and we're in the, the very last chapter of our series that we've been in, Long Story Short. Uh, we started back in May with Genesis chapter 1, which if you open your Bible to the first page, that's the first page of the Bible. And, and then if you turn to the last page of Scripture, you're in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 and that's where we find ourselves today and that's how we know we've come to the end of the series we've journeyed all the way from the front of the from the front cover to the back cover uh, through this series and I hope that uh, you've been able to be along with us for the ride for a good chunk of that you know we there's no way in 13 weeks that we can cover every story in the Bible uh, or every event that took place that was significant uh, but we tried to hit the highest points as we went through this. And if you followed along at all with the reading plan that took you kind of between weeks, then you got to fill in some of the other gaps and, and some of the other uh, stories and parts of the scriptural narrative. We've talked a lot about the Bible as a story, uh, long story short. Uh, and yet, it's not just a narrative. Uh, it would, we should be careful not to think of the Bible as just another book on a shelf, a, a novel kind of book that tells a story. It does weave a story. It weaves the most important story ever told. We've been saying that, uh, that the Bible tells the most important story ever written and that Jesus is the subject of it and that your life, along with all creation, hangs in its balance. But it's also under, important that we understand that the, the miraculous nature of this book that we call the Bible. 
It's actually a collection, like a library of, of about 66 ancient manuscripts written by something like 40 different authors over the course of hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, written down over the course of about 1,500 years, but the, the stories that it contains, especially in the earlier sections, date back thousands of years to the earliest days in the dawn of creation and humanity. And so uh, this is quite a book. It's a collection of books. It has letters, it has poetry, it has histories, it has everything in between. It has uh, stuff like what we're going to read today that people have a hard time figuring out what genre to even call it. Uh, Revelation is called apocalyptic literature. It has all different kinds and, and so it's, it's a challenge sometimes to read it with understanding as we live in a you know 2,000 years removed from its uh, latest writings and it came from a different culture and so there's some learning that we have to do along with it but one thing is plain God loves the world he made it his heart was broken when the world became broken and when we became broken and he's been on a mission ever since to set it right and he's been partnering with ordinary people like you and like me ever since one thing is also crystal clear that the very word that spoke creation into existence took on flesh and made it his dwelling among us he taught us a different way to live he died and rose from the dead so that we might be reconciled to God our creator once again and to our original purpose and so as we conclude this series today, it's as though we're putting a bookend on the other end of the story. And so yes, we're going to look all the way back to creation again today. The very first thing that scripture records is that God created the heavens and the earth. And the very last thing that scripture records is that God will create a new heavens and a new earth. In the very beginning, we looked at Genesis 1 and how God ordered His creation. If we had had time, we would have looked at Genesis chapter 2 and 3 and specifically about humanity and the role that He had for us to play and how we wrecked that. Perhaps you're familiar with the story. There were two trees in the garden that are specifically mentioned. One being the tree of life. And the other being the tree of... Does anyone remember? Tree of the knowledge of what? Of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was the tree that God told them, don't eat from it. And that was the tree they were tempted to eat. And that was the tree that they did eat from, that ruined it all. Why? What's wrong with their reaching out to grasp the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? I think that they were taking into their own hands 
their destiny, their purpose, the meaning of their lives. They said, we will decide what is good and what is wrong. We can determine that. We can be God. We can carve our own destiny. We can decide what makes a good life and what makes a bad life. We can decide what seems good in our own eyes. And so God took them out of the garden because he knew what a mess they would make of it when they stopped living the way he had designed them to live. And he cut them off from the tree of life because how miserable would it have been to have lived forever making a bigger and bigger mess of things. Fast forward through all that we have learned and explored and we come to the end we find ourselves still yet in a broken and fallen world and we find ourselves still yet caught up in deciding for ourselves what is good and what is evil of what makes a life worthwhile what brings us meaning and purpose in our life and satisfaction what makes for a good life and what makes for a bad life these are things that we can define for ourselves I want to propose to you today that people look for meaning and purpose in all kinds of places these days you and I, we do it too it's something we have to fight against if we're going to reclaim our original purpose people look for meaning and purpose and a good life and things like causes. I don't know if you've noticed that uh, lately or not, but in the news it's all about the latest cause. Right? You, you might be fighting the fight against racism or fighting the fight against harassment in the workplace or fighting the fight for equal rights for this group or that group. There's endless causes and they spring up every day and, and people often jump from cause to cause looking for meaning and purpose in their life. That if they can just find the right cause, they can make a difference in their world and they'll find meaning and purpose in their life that way. And there's a hint of truth in that. And yet, no cause seems to provide the long-lasting, meaningful purpose that they seek for that we look for. Some people look to their careers. If they can just reach a certain level of success, if they can reach a certain lifestyle, then they'll be satisfied. They'll find meaning and purpose when people look at them and say, wow, you're really good at that. Wow, you, you hold power and you hold money and you hold authority. And so people, we, you know, you, you meet a lot of workaholics, right? And they're all about reaching some level of success as they've defined it in their career or what have you. And yet, careers come and go. And we're left without meaning and purpose in our lives. Some people look to companions. That they have no life if they don't have a relationship with someone else that brings them that meaning and that purpose 
This starts at a really early age, right? Our teens, our preteens have to have that relationship. It gives them a sense of meaning and purpose in their life. And when they're single, they don't feel that. And when they're together with someone, they do. And so we search for this. And even in our marriages, years down the road, we can get caught up in trying to find the meaning and purpose for our life in this other person. And we put something on them that they couldn't possibly fulfill. And we get disillusioned in our relationships quickly when they don't bring the meaning and the purpose that we thought that they would bring. True meaning and purpose are not realized through causes or careers or companions, but through Christ. Through Christ who reclaims our original calling from the dawn of time. And I'm going to give you just the main point today right off the bat. The life you were made for can become the life you are destined for. The life you were made for can become the life that you are destined for. It's possible. Because of Jesus Christ, we believe it's possible. We believe that the God who created you, who created all of us, who created all of this that we can see and know, had an original purpose for us. We'll explore that today a little more, even though we've mentioned it throughout this series. And that through Christ, we can reclaim once again our original calling. And we can in fact become destined for that which we were made for. And that is where true meaning and purpose, that's where true, the truly good life comes from. We can believe that we can shape good and evil in our own image. But it won't ever deliver what we're hoping it'll deliver. Like our original calling can. So let's look at this passage we read today from the final chapters of Scripture. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. We're taken back to creation. A new heaven and a new earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in a new beginning, He will once again create a new heavens and a new earth. We don't know the details of how that works. We aren't given the blueprint. We don't know if this earth and the matter in it will be completely blown up and then recreated or whether it'll just be transformed but we believe it'll be a brand new heaven and a new earth it'll be a new age there are times in our lives where something big changes and a new reality strikes Sometimes, you know, you hit that stage where you move out of your parents' house and you're doing life on your own. And that's a big difference. Then there's the, you get married. And that's a big change. <laughs> but the biggest one of all has to be if you have kids. I don't know, that's been my experience. Uproots your life. 
uprooted my night last night. <laughs> we, uh, it, it, there's just, mm. you know, before you have kids, Julie and I, we used to lay down at night and we'd look at each other with stars in our eyes, say, have a good night, dear. Oh, yes, I will. Thank you. You too. And we'd sleep all night. So good. Then we had kids. Now we look at each other, the frightened look in our eyes, and we say, good luck. <laughs> our world has changed. I don't think it's going to be the same again. I don't know. I'm losing hope each day. Think of that writ large. When Jesus returns and we receive new bodies, new, created, new creation, uh, springs forth, a new heaven, a new earth, a new age has dawned, God reigns on heaven, on earth, I mean, as he reigns in heaven. It's going to be a whole new situation, a whole new reality. And hopefully we'll get more sleep. That's all I'm saying. I was puzzled a little bit, by the way, if you, in case any of you were puzzled. There was no longer any sea. I was like, what's wrong with the sea? <laughs> and I came to find out that in their day and time, and especially in the Jewish culture, the sea represented the source of chaos and evil. And you can read this throughout Revelation. It's used as a symbol. Uh, it's where the, the beasts crawl out of the sea and devour things, right? That's, uh, it, of course, you know, they weren't exactly a seafaring people. Most of them, and, and that was just kind of like a scary place you don't want to go unless you want some storm to capsize you out in the middle of the ocean. Think of the Jonah story, right? Uh, you know, it's, it, you think of, that kind of makes sense too of how frightened the disciples were in that storm on the Sea of Galilee. Like, they don't like that stuff and they don't want to be in that place. And so the sea kind of represents that. And so to say there's no more sea is to say there's no more of that. No more source of evil lurking and waiting to come out and devour us. It talks about uh, it talks about how he sees a city come down, right? And, and then he says a, a loud voice from the throne came saying look, God's dwelling is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And we find out that God has actually been missing something for all these years. When we read in Revelation, we see that, that God used to enjoy taking evening walks with us. In the cool of the evening. I don't know about your neighborhood, but sometime around 6 or 7, everyone gets out and starts walking around our neighborhood. <laughs> Not everybody. More of us should get out there and do that. But that's when you see... You don't see people just going for a walk at noon, right? But in the evening, they're out and they're going for a walk. And God used to take walks with us in the evening. We had a, a close relationship with our Creator. He's been missing that. He's been working to get that back. That's part of the dream. is that we'll be fully reconciled with God. And he will be with us. And we will be with him. 
in a way uh, so much more tangible than we can feel now. And if you've ever wondered if God is good in the midst of suffering, take this letter, this unique, difficult to interpret scroll that they passed around amongst the churches who were facing difficult persecution and read this next passage in light of it. That he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I love the imagery of that. It was pointed out to me as I studied for this that, you know, God, God could have said, let there be no more crying. Right? He's God. He could have said, he could have just issued a decree. Stop your crying. Everything's good now. Or he could have sent his angels around with Kleenex. Right? And wiped everyone's tears away. But what is described for us is that God himself will go and wipe every tear from their eyes. Yeah, there's a lot of questions about the suffering that people face in this world. And why. And why good things happen I mean, to bad people. And why bad things happen to good people. And there's a lot of that we don't have full answers to. I mean, we can, we can think on it and we can come up with some reasonable guesses. But one thing we know for certain when we look at Scripture is that our suffering was not something that God Himself was unwilling to endure. And our suffering is something that He does not take lightly. In fact, he cares deeply about it. And here in this letter to the early church that was suffering intense persecution for their faith, he promises a better day. He's working towards something. We don't know why it's taking as long as it is taking from our vantage point. And yet the image of God that we get from Jesus and his apostles can't be taken as anything but good, loving, caring, even in the midst of the struggles that we face. In chapter 22, the very final chapter of Revelation, we get an image of the Garden of Eden again. It says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city, and on each side of the river stood the tree of life. It says, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. In the Garden of Eden there was a river that flowed out, and there was the tree of life, In the new heavens and the new earth, the tree of life will be planted by the streams of that river once again. 
and its leaves will bring the healing that the world so desperately needs. This is our hope. And what will we do? It says, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. We will serve and we will reign. I said earlier that the life you were made for can become, again, the life you are destined for. This is the hope that's written for us at the end of Scripture. We're taken all the way back to creation, aren't we? The creation of a new heavens and a new earth, of a new Eden, of new life pouring forth into the world. Healing. All things restored. God with us again. And finally it says we will be restored to our original purpose. What was our original purpose? God created humankind to manage his creation, to rule over it. He created us in his image to reflect his will and his purposes into his creation. He created us to reign, to rule over what he made. The life you were made for can become the life you were destined for. And you can begin even now by the work of the Holy Spirit to begin increasingly reflecting God's will and His purposes into the world around you, into your family, into your workplace, into this place, and amongst these people, even into our community and into our world, in small ways and sometimes maybe even in large ways. We can begin to reflect God's will and God's purposes into the world. And when we do that, we will truly be image bearers of God. We will be reclaiming the purpose that He had for us from the beginning, our original calling to be stewards of His creation. Some of us will buy into that. How do you step into that role? You do it by faith. You do it through discipleship that we've talked about. Becoming a disciple of Jesus. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. That that was the, that was the call. That was the mission. That was, that's who the church is supposed to be. Disciples of Jesus. Because when we're disciples of Jesus, we're learning... How would Jesus live this life that I'm living? And when we begin to have our minds transformed and our hearts transformed, to begin to think and to feel like Jesus thought and felt, then we begin to reflect God into, into the world around us, His purposes, His will. And when we do that, that's when we're fulfilling our original calling, our original purpose. 
if you're looking for meaning and purpose in your life, I defy you to find it anywhere else. I defy you to find it in any relationship with any other person. They cannot bring meaning and purpose to your life. Your spouse can't. Your girlfriend can't. Your, your children can't. Your job, sure enough, can't. They may lay you off tomorrow. Jerks. <laughs> you never know what they'll do. You can't find it in the latest cause. There'll be a new cause tomorrow and your cause will be outdated. Where do we find meaning and purpose? We find it from our Creator. We find it in doing that which He created us to do in the first place. So I say again that true meaning and purpose are not realized through causes or careers or companions, but through Christ who reclaims our original calling from the dawn of time. Scripture teaches that Jesus was the Word through whom all things were spoken into existence. He is the Word. And He also declared that He is the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to know what true good and evil is, if you want to know what a real good life looks like, you look no further than Jesus Christ. And when you find your life in Him, you will have found life indeed. And something new will begin in you that will be carried out to completion on the day that He returns and there is a new heaven and a new earth. This is our hope. It's been the Christian hope for quite some time now. And we still cling to it for God is faithful. Not everyone will choose it. Not everyone will want it. We're told a couple different, at a couple different points in those last two chapters in Revelation. Things like this. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I'll be their God and they'll be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. There'll be some folks who won't want the life that God offers. They want the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They want to make good and evil in their own image. They want to determine what brings meaning and purpose to their life. And so they'll have to die. Not just the death that we all die, but the second death as well. You know, Scripture doesn't promise eternal life to everyone. Somehow we, we got that kind of mixed up. It promises eternal life to those who follow Jesus. Jesus, in one of the most famous verses we ever even read, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. 
Whoever believes in Him will have everlasting life. Whoever buys this message that there's a better way to live, there's a way that you were created to live, and it can be your destiny. Those who buy that message and believe it, shape their life around it, they'll be destined for everlasting life. Those who reject it and don't want anything of it, it would be a terrible curse to live forever in such a condition. So the second death is reserved for them. You could look at it as being put out of their misery. And yet we have this hope. So what role will you take in the final act? You might think of scripture in Acts like a play. The opening act of creation. The next act. When God chose Abraham to build a family through whom he would bless the world. You might think of another act of when Jesus showed up. The gospel, the proclamation that God's kingdom was available, his life was available to the likes of you and me. And then this latest act that we find ourselves in still yet today, between Christ's resurrection and ascension and his return. And we ask ourselves, what role will we play in the final act? Will we reign with Him? Will we rediscover our purpose in all this? The Bible tells the most important story ever written. And Jesus is the subject. And your life, along with all creation, hangs in its balance. I want to close today and this series by reading you the last words in scripture I'm going to read to you from Revelation chapter 22 look I am coming soon my reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done I am the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last the beginning and the end Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. And it closes with this. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.
The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. The life you were made for can be the life you were destined for. Let's pray together, and then we're going to show a video. Father, we thank you for the Bible and for the hope that we have in Christ. We've made our attempts to find our meaning and purpose in created things rather than in the one through whom we were created. Holy Spirit, help us to lay hold of our original calling, even now. Help us to live as image bearers of God, servants of God, so that we, along with those around us, might realize our forever purpose in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to share a video. The words of it were taken from the book of Revelation, and it fits well. Please reflect as we listen. <laughs> 